As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pot on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic, featuring strong language from the start and throughout. Coming up on this week's show. FA Cup fuck up, P45's on the way. Short blanket, the Emperor has no bedclothes. Transfers please. And Hornet Invasion this weekend, but how deadly are they? Yes, hello, I'm Taylor Payne. This is Pod on the Tyne, and it's a warm welcome to the Athletics Newcastle correspondent, Mr. Chris Woff. Hello, Chris. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Oh, it's not morning, it's afternoon. Why did I say good morning? Where did that come from? I don't even know where oh, that came from. Oh, it's amazing, Chris. Hello again. It feels like the days are just all moulding into one at the minute, so I'm just... Uh, I'm Chris, just, let's just try... I'm just walking let, up let's again. Let's just try... Hang on, Chris. Chris, shush. Let's try that again. And it's a warm welcome to the Athletics Newcastle United correspondent, Chris Wolf. Hello, Chris. Hi, Taylor. You all right? How's it going? Is that better? Yes, hello, Chris. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right. Are you okay, Chris? Are you well? Uh, just about getting through, yeah. It's been a tiring one so far. Very, very busy, which is very different to most January transfer windows for Newcastle United. But um, yes, it's uh, it's. I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm all right. I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. It's been a busy weekend, but uh, it's nice to hear your lovely syrupy voice again, Chris. Syrupy. Syrupy, yeah. Good word. And it's a very warm welcome back for the first time in 2022 to the athletic senior writer despite that job title he's no old geezer he's the that's enough 
Wow. Hello, George. I didn't think that was ever going to stop. No. O OG also stands for Old George, and that's uh, that's marvellous. I did love that bit of the podcast last week. Hello, everybody. I've I like you, Taylor. I've had a spot of COVID, but yes. um, and uh, back back now on one cylinder, I think probably. But um, Chris had told me that story about Joe Willock saying to him during his interview with him, brilliant interview with him, that uh, he talked about uh, John Joe Shelvia's OG and Chris's response. Does that stand for old geezer? And no, it does stand for it does stand for original gangster. And this might surprise a few people. I'm quite big into my old school hip hop. I've seen Ice T, who was singing that song that we've just heard. Uh, I've seen him play at Newcastle University, and um, that was with his um, kind of hardcore rock band Body Count. My anecdote about that story is that the ceilings at Newcastle University are so low. Um, uh, that the bass gets kind of massively amplified. I went to see him, and this is decades ago. I was really, really hungover. And so before this started, I necked two pints of Coke and stood at the back. And the bass was so loud that all I did for the one and a half hours that followed was just belch uncontrollably. Um, because the bass <laughs> in that room was so loud, it just made the Coke froth up. It was, I've oh, never known man. anything like it. Ice tea, and the other thing, the other thing. So, ice tea, um, incredible stuff, is is a, is brilliant. But you know, old school rapper, South Central LA. He always sings about that. One of his songs that Body Count sang was called "Home of the Body Bag," and um, you know, in other words, LA, South Central, home of the body bag. He adapted the song's lyrics to reflect where he'd been on tour in England. So instead of saying LA, <laughs> home of the body bag, it was Beth. Home of the body bag, Oxford. Home of the body bag, Jesmond. Home of the tree surgeon. I made that last bit up, but um, but it was hilarious. Nice tea, Chris. You, oh, you, you idiot! I've missed you, you lovely idiot. <laughs> well, quite the intro, George. By, by the way, you and I, Taylor, probably got COVID recording this podcast so i want our listeners to know just how much we have suffered at the same for our time art. Yeah. yes i know we have we have suffered for our art absolutely yeah it was uh it was a, a war of attrition christmas that's all i can describe it <laughs> likewise we it were both isolated we were both isolated we were christmas yeah yeah and I can tell you haven't talked to anyone for a while George. no i've not i'm sorry I'm, that intro. i've got covid <laughs> head so i'll stop talking for a while that's all right. I'm still suffering with fuzzy brain as well. Anyway, uh, you dear listeners, you can subscribe to The Athletic now with a 33% discount at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. You get full access to all of our great writing and ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcasts. So make your way to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and sign up for a third off subscription right now. Right then, chaps. Uh, first up was our sellout third round cup tie against League One outfit Cambridge United. Uh, we put out a strong side, including new signing Kieran Trippier. And despite everything, uh, we still expected a fairly trouble free route into the next. Whoa! <laughs> and up comes Dubravka. He doesn't get there. It's headed away from Dendrick. On the ground where we used to idolise Alan Shearer has made it 1-0. Newcastle have 
Southampton. Cambridge United join the ranks of FA Cup Giant Killers. Wow. Busting out the someone who's never seen Ironside, I have no oh, idea yeah. what that is. It's, but it's a really niche gag, that. <laughs> Ironside, for those of you who didn't know, I've just, I just googled it. So. Yeah, about a guy, about a guy in a wheelchair who was a detective. Incredible. Thanks to our producer Ollie, who's clearly not been very busy today, <laughs> putting all of that together. Ah, uh, yes, Newcastle United still finding the early trapdoor in the cups, uh, and there are still a few lingering aspects of Mike Ashleyness uh, that we need to jettison. Uh, nine out of the last 16 years, Chris, out in the third round. It's just not good enough, is it? Well, it is if you want a holiday, if you're a Newcastle United player on the fourth round of the well, FA Cup. Yeah, but, you know, like I said I'm... last week, I always plan my weekend away. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, I always know that I get that weekend off, so in that sense, selfishly delighted. No, it's not It's not acceptable. And it, it, there's a sort of... It was, it was, it was an, always going to be an interesting game in that sense because, like the takeover in general... It, there are so many sort of moments where you think that suddenly this club is going to go from being the club that has been run by Meg Ashley for 14 years to being a proper football club that tries to be something different. And although we're sort of three months on, um, the reality of the situation is that Newcastle are still very much the same football club that, that in terms of the players that are there structurally, um, in terms of behind the scenes, as the club that Meg Ashley left behind. And really, the, a team has won one sole season they should still win against their League One opposition at home, but equally, third round exits are what Newcastle United have done for so long. And unfortunately, that sea change in sort of mentality where going forward, cup competitions are in theory going to be important and Newcastle are going to be trying to actually win things and not see them as some um, inconvenience that gets in the way of the league where you've got to pay the, pay the players, uh, play the players in this game when really you just want to protect them for the Premier League to get all your money. Unfortunately, they're still in a situation where they can't actually prioritise them yet. And although he put out a very strong team they're, they're out again and that's just it was just very very disappointing yeah that's only once in the last 16 years that they've been past the fourth round and and like you say Chris that that 11 was was probably the strongest that we had available at the time George how much have they let themselves down with that performance yeah massively but it's it's funny I've, I've got a, a strange sort of take take on this mainly I mean you know that record in the Ashley era was was awful but I would spend those days cursing and and feeling like Newcastle were trapped forever in this Ashley sort of loop. Things were never going to get better. You couldn't see an end to it. And I didn't have that sense on Saturday. It might partially be because I was just happy to be with the crowd again. I looked at the stadium. It looked beautiful. No adverts. That's the first time I've seen that. It was full of kids. The stadium yeah, it does was full. Look good. And I did have that overwhelming sense of things aren't going to be like this forever. That next year, however the club is set up, whichever division the team's in, the club is going to be rec- is un- going to be unrecognisable, and it is changing, and it has changed. And so, although I do feel very, very disappointed about the result, third round day used to be my favourite day of the season. It certainly isn't anymore. I actually had a sense of optimism that the club won't be like this forever. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, we we do have to we do have to look forward, don't we? Rather than trying to wallow too much, this is a the season we're in at the minute is one of those years. Like we've said in the past, it just feels like one of those years, doesn't it? Um, but in the here and now, Chris, I mean, Newcastle put thirty eight crosses into the box in that game against Cambridge, uh, and nobody could put the ball in the net. I think a striker is needed, and I think that need is is stark now, isn't it? We really do need somebody who can put the ball away. 
Yeah, I mean, we're going to cover this a little bit more in the section on transfers, but it's it's absolutely essential, and the club recognise that. Eddie Howe certainly recognises that. Callum Wilson's going to be out for at least eight weeks. Um, Dwight Gill was absent at the weekend as well, though a lot of, obviously, absentees for injuries and COVID, so I couldn't give exactly the reason behind that. But, I, I mean, we if we look at the game, I mean, on Saturday, Newcastle should have, could and should have been 2 3 nil up by half-time and if Callum Wilson had been playing even if Dwight Gale had been playing I think they would have been they had so many opportunities they got they also had so many openings where they got into positions to do so but they weren't ruthless and then second half what what alarmed me and that first half performance wasn't bad at all in that sense except being able unable to finish but what alarmed me was Newcastle conceded in the 56th minute and as the game wore on, they actually looked less like scoring, barring Joe Linton's header in, in injury time from a corner. They actually got worse as the game wore on, and there was no real response, despite it being them having so long to get back in the game. That's what concerned me, even more to an extent than the striker situation, because you'd like to think that even on another day, a non-striker would have put away one of those opportunities that Newcastle had, albeit they haven't been for most of the season. And in theory, if Gale comes back, they do actually have someone who can play up front. But that sort of lack of of, of, of ability to, for whatever reason, to sort of get pumped up and to really put in a response against a League One opposition, that concerned me because... And I think it surprised. I think it surprised the coaching staff. Just the the sort of press conference after the game. I thought Eddie Howe sounded a bit surprised as well by that sort of lack of response. And that for me was really concerning. I put this out there to you lads, and I don't know what you think about this, but I was there as well on Saturday. I was in the stands. Uh, me and the boy went up. It was you know we 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 were excited going into the game, and and I love going to cup games. I think they've they've got a different sort of uh, magic attached to them than a normal league game, but. I sat in the stands, watched that second half, and I got the feeling from what I could see unfolding in front of me that some of those players were playing with a handbrake on. And I don't know if you understand, if you get what I mean by that, or if you if, if you agree with me. But I was so frustrated in that last that last twenty minutes. I, th- I thought these guys are playing within themselves here. It's almost like they don't want to get back into this game. And now, you know, you can't really level that, those sort of accusations against professional footballers because I'm sure they want to win the game. But it was just how it felt in the stand at the time. Well, I mean, I, I didn't sort of have that particular thought. I mean, I did think that they were playing really badly. And as Chris says, um, they, they did get worse. And, you know, someone like Joe Willett comes on and doesn't impact the game at all, apart from in a negative sense. I mean, that was... <laughs> That was yeah. that was distressing. I mean, I ho- I certainly hope that they weren't doing that, sort of you know saving themselves for Watford because Newcastle need to win a, win a match. And this, if you look at it, this was a perfect excuse to 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 try and one more game all season. So you know it's a it's a sort of pivotal period, and that would be a. I mean, you, you talk talk about being there with your lad Taylor. I was surrounded by kids. Yeah. It was kind of quite difficult. I couldn't get it angry. Was, was I couldn't get. I couldn't get angry. I couldn't swear. So that was another reason. Perhaps I've got a slight. And it was actually quite nice to be surrounded <laughs> yeah. by those sort of young voices. Oh, please, can we just score a goal? Please, can we just score a goal? It's like, I'm sorry, son. You've got a lifetime of misery ahead of you. I felt quite smug. Maybe that was why I felt happy. Jackson, at one point, Kieran Trippier came down to take a corner right in front of us, and Jackson pulled his phone out and took a little photo of him. And then he showed me the photo, and it was really good. And he was proper buzzing about it. And I thought, ah, you innocent, you innocent young fool. Well, and and <laughs> just, just Tri- wait for Tri- the misery. I do think Trippier escapes blame. I mean, a it's his first match. Oh, absolutely. But, I mean, so much, so, yeah. You know, I liked, I really liked his his attitude. There's been a lot of sort of talk about the body language of the players, and I do think, I do think that was off. I mean, whether it was Willock or St. Maximum at the end, yeah. but 
you know, Trippier, Trippier was the one jing people up and he was putting the ball he in. He was very vocal forward. in that second half. Yeah. Very yeah. vocal. Yeah, and, you know, I, I wasn't obviously on the pod last week, but, I mean, I do think it's a, he is a really fantastic signing, does set a tone, and in a position... I mean, you know, in a defensive position, which is what Newcastle needed certainly then, and they've got him for a really good price as well. So, but you know, we'll come on to this. But they, you know, they need more. The interesting thing about Trippier on, I thought on on Saturday was certainly first twenty twenty five minutes, as you could see how much of a higher level he's been playing out than the players oh, in Newcastle absolutely. in terms of some of the things he was trying to do, some of the balls he was trying to play, the clever little sort of balls in behind. And I think over time that he'll, he'll, he'll gain more of an understanding with the likes of Alan Saint-Maximin and maybe somebody like Joe Willock if he, if he used to start a game running behind. But at the start of that match, you could see it was just a different sort of level he'd come into and now he's playing uh, with his, with the team in Newcastle. But but you could see he is, he is a, a significant step up on what they had before because there is actually an irony about the fact that the one player they've signed so far is actually, although I think he immeasurably improves them in attack and defence, and should start. It's probably the one position you would have said not absolutely desperately need a right back. They need they desperately need a left back really in terms of here and now. They desperately need a striker. They desperately need a centre back. But um, so that that sort of shows that the, the issues they still have that they haven't been able to get players in for their positions. But Kieran Trippi, I think, is I still think is a, is a very good start. They just need to build on that now. Absolutely. We also have to say as well credit uh, to Cambridge because they 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 did really. You know they they took the game as well to us. They didn't look scared at all. They didn't look like a, a League Two team playing against a Premier League team. And that goalkeeper, he had three shredded wheat that morning, didn't he? Everything that was that was fired at him, he saved or he pushed around the post or he uh, he, he stopped in some way, shape or form. Um, uh, there was a really good article about about their week leading up to the game on the Athletic by Jacob Whitehead and Phil Buckingham as well. If you get the chance, check that out. But and the fans as well. They brought five thousand fans. They filled that that entire top tier of the Leases end. They were they were good value for that win. I thought they deserved it. They did. They definitely did. And um, again, this might also sound a bit strange. I sort of I felt happy for them at the end. I mean, it's kind of rare to mm. to to you know to say that maybe and think that about. But I also felt jealous. I felt jealous as I was leaving the stadium because you saw what it meant to them. I, you know, I was at the end where they were celebrating. You know, towards the Leases and. So got a good view of that, and I, I was thinking to myself, I can't, you know, I can't wait to see Newcastle players celebrate that, and I don't want it to be, you know, I don't mean celebrating staying up or celebrating three points against Watford like that. I mean in a genuine, you know, you saw how much that cup game meant to them, and you know, it's one of the best results they've ever had, and it, and sort of that, just that outpouring of emotion, I found it quite sort of moving, um, but you know, obviously the annoyance is that. To, to get that result, they've had to inflict one of the worst results in Newcastle's history or certain recent history um, upon us. So it was a, again a strange, strange thought. They did really well. They did really. They showed no fear. They took their chance, unlike Newcastle. And yeah, they were heroes. Um, Alan Shearer wasn't particularly happy on uh, Saturday, as as he often isn't when Newcastle have put in a performance like that. Uh, and his quote from BBC Breakfast uh, went as like this: uh, "Newcastle were hopeless. I was really surprised and disappointed to see some of the players just walk off the pitch without acknowledging the superb support inside St James's Park." Um, yeah, I was I was disappointed to see that as well. There was there was a few of those players who quite clearly couldn't wait to get off that field, Chris and. And, you know, the fans have, have filled that ground on a freezing cold Saturday afternoon. And I thought the least they could have done was, you know, give, just show them that they appreciated it. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll caveat my answer here by saying I didn't actually see too much of this because I was too busy. I was going, the desk were, were getting excited by the fact that Cambridge had, had, had won, so I had to do a sort of a immediate news line from that. So I didn't fully see exactly what was happening uh, on the pitch at the time. And I did see that Howe and a few players had walked out, so the trip here was sort of encouraging others. But that, to me, yeah, it says that I understand. It's always difficult in these situations because players want to get off in that, in that situation. They're a bit worried about exactly what's happening. But I and they just don't want to. They just don't want to be in that in, in the on the pitch after a, a, an embarrassing defeat like that. But given the fact that. Uh, so many fans had turned up, fifty-two thousand. It was incredible that it was a sellout. It's astonishing that that game was was a sellout. Um, Could that have been a sellout at any other team, at any other Premier League team? I don't think it would have been. There's only there's only us there's only us daft enough to fill that ground. I don't on think, afternoon I don't think I don't think many clubs certainly would have would have would have would have done that. Not given the fact that the Newcastle have only won one sole season as well. So that was that was. That was disappointing, but uh, they 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 all support us a performance this Saturday. That's that's they've got to respond and do that, and they need they need to make sure that they are able to to respond and do that because they desperately desperately need a victory on Saturday. Absolutely. Well, George and Chris uh, talked to Adam Leventhal earlier on, and uh, we'll be hearing from him in a little while. Uh, but we'll be back in just a moment to talk transfers. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, uh, if Newcastle's owners weren't fully aware of the urgent need for reinforcements before the Cambridge match, they certainly are now. Uh, But let's be honest, all the signs are that they've been working incredibly hard. They've landed one ambitious target so far in Kieran Trippier, uh, and they're looking at multiple options in all areas of the team. But with the focus firmly on that fragile defence at the minute, um, the centre-half pursuit, Chris, is that still an ongoing priority, or has that now been trumped by the search for a striker? Well, they're both priority positions. They're the two positions Newcastle desperately want to uh, strike deals for urgently. And they are, unfortunately, it looks like Sven Botman is not going to happen. We'll get on to that in a second. But really, centre-back, both positions centre-back-wise, they'd like to strengthen. But ideally, they'd like one in by this weekend and a striker, if possible. That's proven very difficult, given that the striker situation has sort of... Uh, only become as pressing really over the last fortnight or so when Callum Wilson was injured against Man United and then that was confirmed as to how the extent of that on Friday um, when he had a scan to, to see basically he's going to be out for, for eight weeks it seems if not longer and as I say Dwight Gale missed the weekend's match he's not uh, we're not 100% sure he'll be back for Saturday although I'm led to believe there's a good chance that he will be 
Um, but I mean, he's been Dwight Gill's been overlooked by the previous two managers. That is not seen as not being good enough in the in, in the Premier League. So they really do need to strengthen up front. They desperately need goals. They've only got nineteen goals uh, in twenty one games. George had a stat about how many goals I've had in the last. What was it in the last eight, George? Oh, I'll have to count them up. I can't remember now. Well, it was well since since Brentford. It was none against none against Arsenal. One against Norwich. One against Burnley. Nothing at Leicester. One against Liverpool. Man City, nothing. One against Man U, not nothing against Cambridge. And so it's funny that we've we've sort of I mean, we haven't turned a full circle because Newcastle is still horrific at the back, but um they now can't score goals. At the start of the season we were talking about a side that was scoring goals, but um, you know, was conceding as well, and now they can't score. And that is a problem. I mean that is that is you know, my huge what concern from Cambridge was, as Chris said, if there's if there's a striker on the pitch, I think Newcastle win. Um, or I think they would have been two, you know, a couple of goals up by half time. How do they beat Watford? You know, how do they beat Leeds if there's not if there's not a striker? Um, that is my is my real worry at this point, and I think that does become the. I mean, it's you know, I think the sort of defensive issues are sort of almost in, institutionalised. That is a full makeover required. But if Newcastle want to get anything from these really pivotal games against Watford, Leeds, and Everton. Um, they need a striker, you know. They need a striker, and it is so tough. The the cliche always about January is that it's a terrible time to do business, and that's true. But people don't want to sell strikers, you know, at the best of times, let alone now. And one just little thing, I have been, you know, I've been having conversations. One thing I think that you know, the thing that Newcastle will run into as as well as price and availability is that. The COVID situation is actually making things complicated at the minute because teams are reluctant to let people go, either sell them or or loan them because they're worried about their squads being decimated by COVID outbreaks. And so that's something else is now in the equation. Well, Newcastle are the same. Newcastle are reluctant to let players go themselves, even though they need to move them on until because they've yeah. had so many absentees for the same reason. So it's, it's a tough one, that isn't it? We're, we're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. We need to create space, but if you're not wanting to let players go out in case, in case you have a massive wave of COVID, then it's a really difficult one. Uh, we're talking about strikers, uh, George uh, and Chris as well. Um, Divock Origi was a name mentioned this week, and also Chris Wood at Burnley. You would imagine Burnley wouldn't want to sell their one of their main strikers to a to relegation rival, Chris, wouldn't you? Well, that seems to be the impression given. Um, I know he's spoken to to various people, including our Burnley uh, writer Andy Jones, and he he thinks the same. He thinks he, he struggles to see that that one happening. The same was with James Tarkowski, obviously their their centre back who's available, um, but. Divock Origi, I think similar at Liverpool, that certainly in terms of they've lost their two best players in, in Mane and uh, Salah to the to the Africa Cup of Nations for now. And so they're going to let Origi go. And, and certainly in the short term, looks highly unlikely unless Newcastle were willing to pay a heck of a lot of money. Um, so the, 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 the reality is that Newcastle have cast the net far and wide and they are trying to find strikers who are available and who they can get now because they, they may be able to wait till the end of the window and get players in on loan and that seems to be very much the impression about all positions is if you wait till the end of the window likely as you can but the problem is Newcastle need goals and they need them for Saturday they have these two back-to-back games against uh, Watford and Leeds where they desperately need to get at least four points but ideally six from them and, and that to do that they need someone who's going to score goals and so they are looking at basically every option available uh, both home and abroad and so that's where Wood and Origi come from there is there are in, there is interest in both but do I see either of them happening 
imminently. I think that it's looking unlikely at this stage unless Newcastle can find a way to, to convince Burnley that they should sell, uh, which seems... As to, I mean, George and I were having a conversation off air earlier, and George basically said it would be almost an acceptance of, of relegation from Burnley, and I think that probably would be true because if you sell to one of your relegation rivals, um, then that that really seems to me to be a, a, a situation where you're just saying, yeah, fine, we're done for here. Absolutely, um, and, and you know, there's been a name mentioned and a new name linked with Newcastle pretty much every half an hour for the last two weeks. Uh, last week's outlandish rumor was Pierre Emerick or Bamiang, uh, and this week Dusan Vlaovic from from Fiorentina. George, we're we're going to have to get used to this, aren't we? There's going to be a new name every five minutes with the way the club are, are are kind of out there actively seeking players, and a lot of this will be agent uh, work drumming up interest in their their. Uh, the, their clients, but um, the, the the names just keep coming, don't they? No, no, and it's the same. It was the same when they were looking for for a manager, and same with with sporting director and things like that. A, it's partly because, as Chris said, it's not you know this isn't us sort of trying to um, you, you hedge our bets with managers. They you know they spoke to countless people. They actually spoke to countless people. They're they're doing the same thing. They're talking to people. They've done this with players. It's partly because they have to. It's partly because. Uh, Newcastle are seen as a cash cow um, by from agents and from other clubs, and this is the sort of stuff that they're having to to kind of deal with. It's, a, I mean, I know that, that, that there is that sort of thought that they should have been ready to go on January the first with, you know, four or five players, but it just the the transfer market and the and the window doesn't work like that because selling clubs or loaning clubs want to wait for the best possible deal, you know. So it's very very and, you know. At the moment, you know, I think they're very pleased with the business they did with Trippier. And because it's partly because it's seen as, you know, it's a good deal. I mean, it's financially, it's, it's, they haven't had to uh, push, put, you know, push themselves out exactly. And it does protect, it protects the wage structure that's in the club at the minute. And those things are very important. And they want to do good business. They don't just want to, you know, throw money at it. Whether that philosophy can last, this window, we'll have to wait and see. But certainly, they're trying to drive. You know, they're they're trying not to be exploited in the window. And so that's another layer to it too. And as far as the centre back search goes, Chris, they're they're looking at Carlos uh, Sevilla and also uh, your man at Monaco, who I'm going to leave you to attempt to pronounce uh, his surname. Chris, they're strongly linked those two. Yeah, well, as as David Ornstein, our colleague, has reported just in the last sort of hour or so. I mean, we're what we're twenty past five on on Monday. Um, Sven Botman, Newcastle have basically all but given up hope of getting them this month. Their Lille just haven't tried to just wanted to engage this month. They don't want to sell, and Newcastle don't believe that even if they raised their offer, it would make any difference. So although they're reluctantly moving on, and they believe that Botman wants to come or is receptive to coming, they're going to move on beyond that. And so uh, Benoit Badiashil of Monaco is that's the one, someone they're looking at again. Big big money would it would take to prize him from from Monaco by the sounds of things. Same with Diego Carlos at Sevilla. I mean, again, there's a lot of options for these positions, which which Newcastle are looking at. I've also done a sensible transfers piece with Alex Stewart, which should go up uh, should be out by the time this podcast out, looking at a couple of other options, not necessarily Newcastle being linked with, but if they can't get Botman, who are sort of similar style of players who could bring in and improve them. And ideally what they want is they want a, a left-sided centre-back because they haven't had a, 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 a They've wanted to strengthen that position for a long while. Someone who can play it out from the back, and then alongside him also someone who's a bit more of a sort of dominant centre back. And what I was surprised to find out on Friday was that ideally they wanted both Botman and Carlos. At first, I thought it was one or the other, but really they do want two if possible. 
Um, at the moment, they're being frustrated and that they find out how difficult and expensive the January window really is. But centre-backs remain a priority as much of a, as, as a striker, maybe just a little bit behind, but they are still very much priority. So what you're saying, Chris, is that it's 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 more not man than bot man now. Is that what you're saying? Jesus. I'm not going to engage with this at all. We're still doing <laughs> Botman and Robin jokes, so nothing's much changed in the last two or three weeks, has it? But I mean, again, this 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 is. I mean, it's very encouraging to 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 know that they're going after people like Botman and someone like Dinier at Everton. The problem is, is that you know, on it, for the first of those, the club won't are not interested in doing business, and with the second of those, the players not interested in doing business. So you can make the argument that Newcastle are wasting their time, kind of going after this sort of target who absolutely 100% improves the team, improves the squad straight away. And it's the kind of player Newcastle, you know, in my opinion, should be going for and uh, so on and so forth. Equally, if they're going for players at Burnley, what's in it for Burnley? You know, what's in it for Burnley apart from money at the yeah. moment? So th- that oh, that really? is the problem. They're sort of beset with difficulties all around them. They have to do stuff, um, but there's just huge reluctance in this window to, to sort of engage with them. Chris, is there any likelihood of, a, of new faces in before the Watford game? Well, there's a, there's a, there was a renewed sort of determination after the weekend that it was, I think, it, it was described to me as almost it was like a blessing in disguise to an extent that uh, Yasser El Ramayan, the governor of the PIF and Newcastle's executive vice chairman, was actually there to see Saturday's defeat and see firsthand exactly what was what was happening. And it sounds afterward that minds were focused, is the way it was sort of described to me, and that basically there, there is a push to try and do deals. But equally, that's rhetoric to a certain extent. And even if you try and intensify that, actually getting clubs to agree to those deals is, is, is not easy. So putting timeframes on things are very difficult. But certainly Eddie Howe himself sort of intimated, he would he said he was hopeful, I think, that he would have deals by this weekend. Newcastle would like to deliver him one or two more by Saturday. But we'll just have to wait and see whether they're able to do so. Because even if even if even if they get them in Thursday or Friday, are they going to be ready to actually start on Saturday is another matter entirely as well. Yeah, and just just very briefly on the same same point, I've had a conversation today with with someone very well connected who's said the same same thing. Um, but you, you know that there is this sort of hope that they could do a deal uh, before the weekend. But also pointed out what happened uh, towards the end of the Trippier deal, which was suddenly that there were a couple of very minor things, but that came up and that basically set them back by 48 hours. So, you know, there may well be optimism about something happening now, but that deal showed that those little things can can delay matters. And again, that would be a concern for me. Absolutely. You just never know in the mad old bastard that is the January transfer window, do you? You don't know what's going to happen. Anyway, stay bang up to date on all of the Premier League comings and goings with The Athletic's Transfer Daily. The Athletic Football Podcast brings listeners a 10-minute daily show of exclusive news and transfer updates throughout January from the very best newsroom in the business. It's exclusive to Apple Plus users, and you can sign up now for a free seven-day trial. Subscribers to The Athletic will also be able to access the podcast via the app uh, and 33% off at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod, of course. (laughs) 
This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, if you thought Newcastle's January games are crucial, spare a thought for our counterparts at Watford, uh, who have a hastily rearranged trip to Burnley, sandwiched between their visit to St James's Park and a home game against Norwich City. Now the Athletic are well equipped uh, when it comes to every Premier League club, but we're particularly blessed with the Hornets and George and Chris stole a Monday afternoon minute with a man described recently as Mr Watford. Adam Leventhal and Chris asked him how his ticker is going into what will surely be an intense week. Oh yeah, it's all right. I'm I'm sort of fearing fearing the week from hell to be honest. But um, aside from that, I'm trying to take my mind off things. We're in the process of moving house, so I'm going through lots of old boxes of of happy footballing memories, which is just sort of reminding me that it's not all doom and gloom. <laughs> so um, I'm 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 sort of balancing out with a little bit of history. To moving house during the January transfer window as well. I mean that's a that's a big big move. Just- <laughs> yeah, just to add to the yes. chaos. Yeah, absolutely. I mean just on that. I mean it it really does feel like a sort of authentic, cliched, make-or-break week for Watford coming up. Is, is that fair? Is that a fair assessment of what's coming up this week? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, the, the game against Newcastle alone would be would be bad enough. Um, but then to follow it up with a game against Burnley on the Tuesday and then have to face Norwich on the Friday, that is basically the season in in six days. Um, not only for the for the players, but certainly for the head coach as well, because Claudio Ranieri is on a, on a wretched run of form. Um, I've just got all these L's in front of me on the computer screen. I lose track. It's uh, what was it? Six now? Six, seven, eight, nine? So nine defeats out of eleven for Claudio Ranieri, um, and points quite simply have to come from from these games. Not all of them, but points have to come in some way, shape or form from Newcastle, Burnley or Norwich or Watford will be obviously in the relegation zone. They'll be low on confidence. And ultimately, you know, we know how ruthless Gino Pozzo is. He's actually given Claudio Claudio Ranieri sort of plenty of slack. But against your relegation rivals, you have to have to get some points. And if he doesn't, then I'll be writing a big uh, what went wrong piece I would have thought for the athletic <laughs> well Adam that, that was that was going to be my that was going to be my question to you in actual fact but I mean it's a it's a perennial Watford question I was going to sort of almost ask it with my tongue in cheek but but is it time that Claudio Ranieri was 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 sacked I mean I know that this is a question that kind of Watford deal with all the time because they've been so trigger happy when it comes to managers but is he is he properly under pressure he's he's certainly under a significant amount of pressure due to the fact that they have um, lost, you know, 
a lot of games on the bounce. The, the, in mitigation for him, he started off with a with a pretty challenging run. Um, he, obviously, he started against Liverpool and they got humped 5-0. And then he bounced back with a great victory at um, Everton in the next game, 5-2, which was, which was the first time Watford have ever won at Goodison Park. Then after that, they slipped at home against Southampton and then went in a, into a really, really difficult run against Arsenal, Manchester United, Leicester, Chelsea and Manchester City. So he sort of had those five games for free almost. And then after that, then there was a step back similar to the Southampton game against Brentford, lost in the last minute, didn't turn up against West Ham after having 17 days off due to COVID and then lost in the last minute against Tottenham. So there have actually been some positives, believe it or not, in there. You know, they, the win against Manchester United was great and that finished off Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But they have actually shown against some some decent sides that they have more of an attacking threat. They can be more organised. But the Achilles heel is is their defence. And Claudio Ranieri hasn't been able to do anything about that up until the start of this January transfer window. And he's, he's now got a couple of players that he can utilise against your boys. And that might save his bacon. It might Adam, I mean, Newcastle have perhaps been a little bit fortunate with the sort of fixture upheaval and they've obviously had games against Everton and Southampton postponed until later in the season due to COVID outbreaks and injury situations. And many will say, as Ralph Hasenhutl has, that uh, Newcastle will gain an advantage because they'll be able to play stronger teams. Have Watford been handed a more difficult run of fixtures given the rearranged games for next week? Do, do, Do Watford feel hard done by because of that? Or is it something they just think they've got to get on with? I think they'll feel um, that maybe the Premier League hadn't actually looked exactly where they were plonking that Burnley game um, a little bit. But you sort of have to roll with the punches a little bit because, you know, Watford had games called off against against Burnley, obviously, against Wolves and Crystal Palace. So they have to be rearranged at some point. Um, But I remember I spoke to um, someone recently and they've been speaking to a, you know, a Premier League manager who'd been pushing for the fact that just leave January alone. Don't start trying to organise games in January. Let's let these things settle down as far as COVID and and call up um, cancellations and stuff, and then put them later on in the season. Especially if you're not a club that's in in Europe, like neither Newcastle or Watford are, or probably will ever be. Or maybe you you probably will be when you stay up and then start splurging all your money. But anyway, um, in terms of you know the reorganisation, it has really stitched Watford up. But maybe. Maybe you just sort of go, right, we've got these games, these three massive games in six days. Let's just sort of batten down the hatches and go headlong into them. Cue a 5-0 defeat at St. Joseph's Park. <laughs> we will see what happens. We'll see only, what happens. can only dream. What, what, about, um, what about the players that Watford have had missing? I mean, uh, from the African Cup of Nations and, and through, through injuries as well. How, how, how is the squad looking leading up to this weekend? It's looking better than it than it was. Um, there were a, a lot of injuries and you know COVID absentees, and obviously we had those cancellations. Um, there is no Ishmael Assar, which is a big loss for Watford, um, and he you know played against Newcastle in that that game at Vicarage Road. Um, missing a few other players. Adam Messina, the left back, has has gone, but they've brought in a new left back, Hassan Kamara from from Nice, who a couple of seasons ago was one of the best in Liga. So you know that's that's got some sort of hope to it. Um, 
William Trista Kong is the captain of Nigeria. He's not going to be there, but they've brought in another centre-half from, yet yeah, predictably, Udinese in Samir. And he's now hopefully going to be playing against Newcastle. So they've plugged those gaps. Um, and there aren't, you know, a huge amount of players missing. Emmanuel Dennis has had a, a weekend off and he's been pulling up trees in the Premier League. I think he's arguably one of the, the signings of the summer Um of the season, really, for, for any side in, in terms of how many goals he's scored and, and how good he's looked. So they're not under strength. They've got, you know, reinforcements that they've brought in and they can go into this game maybe, you know, the most confident that they they could be in, in the circumstances. I mean, you've mentioned the signings. Samir, centre-back, Newcastle are desperately looking for a centre-back that they've basically given up now, seemingly, or, or look like they're going to give up on Sven Botman coming from Lille. What is What, is, what will Samir bring to Watford? What have, they, what have they seen in him, other than the fact that he's, he's, he's an Udinese player? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, aside from the fact that they know him and they already own him. Um, I think that they, they hope that he can bring some authority to that back line, which he's really, really been suffering with. He's been at Udinese for, for a number of years and he's... The, the only thing with it is that the majority of the time he has been playing in a back three. So he's not necessarily, unless Claudio Ranieri rips it up and, and tries something new, he's not going to be playing in a in a back three. It's going to be in a back four. And it's who he's paired with. Um, Francisco Sierralta, who looked really, really good in the in the championship, hasn't looked quite as good in the in the Premier League. Craig Cathcart's sort of been there for donkey's years and he's not really improving anymore um so the 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 problem with it and the real frustration is that they brought in um as a free agent signing prior to the transfer window they brought in nicholas and kulu vastly experienced from cameroon been playing in italy and he came in and you could see that he was a classy assured defender and he made watford better but he only lasted three games and then he got an injury and he's been missing ever since and that's the problem that they've tried to sort of make that defensive unit better and they've had to deal with a lot of injuries. They'll be hoping now that Samir comes in and has a similar impact that Nkulu did and that they can be a little bit more assured. And obviously they will have, you know, Hassan Kamara, hopefully as a left back as well to just improve the offering on the on the left hand side. So they should they should be stronger defensively and that has been the big problem this this season for Watford they haven't kept a clean sheet since since 1984 we'll we'll, we'll fight you for that <laughs> for the title of worst defensive but um one question i always love asking our other writers i mean i think i think we probably all think that our own club or the club we follow or write about is the maddest or you know you know most bonkers in the in the world or whatever certainly think that about newcastle i would love just just to have some of your general thoughts you know, with with that sort of one one eye removed um, about Newcastle and about how it's been since takeover, how do you how do you look at Newcastle? What what are your thoughts of about Newcastle this season and beyond? Well, I will go back to sitting at, at Vicarage Road um, in what date was it? I've got the I've got the fixes in front of me. It was yeah, end of September, and I saw Newcastle playing that first half very well looked organized, looked dangerous. Longstaff had just, you know, slammed one into the top left-hand corner and the fans were singing, get rid of Steve Bruce, whatever the song was. What was it? Brucey out. We want Brucey out. All that. Yeah. Oh, 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 the good old days. Oh yeah. Those days. Um, you know, and, and I just thought it, it's, 
it was incongruous from from my point of view that you had a manager that was that was I know he I know he seemed to be sucking the life out of of the of the whole operation and the whole Mike Ashley issue was was doing doing the same thing but it's always been a little bit of a mismatch of expectations and and reality um and now it's it's almost gone you know it's almost that on acid that you know the expectation is that you're going to be bringing in all these world stars but you've still got now a manager that is someone that was most recently relegated from the premier league he's getting you playing better football but how do you balance out all of these different things and have to patch everything up within the space of of four weeks when players won't necessarily want to come and if they do want to come they're probably only coming because they're going to get a bigger offer from Newcastle as opposed to somewhere else. So, you know, throwing all that nonsense that I've just said into the mixer, I, I, I'm just, I'm just watching it like that gif on on social media with with a box of popcorn and just seeing <laughs> what happens basically because I haven't got a clue. My my feeling was when Watford played you know played Newcastle in September I thought well even if they don't get massive investment or even if they keep Steve Bruce in there or even if they get rid of him you know there's no takeover or whatever I thought you'd be all right because I thought you had good enough players. But it's just that that over reliance on Callum Wilson the fact that you can't really slot the ball home and that was summed up by that that chance wasn't wasn't there in that last last minute when uh, Murphy ran through and there's that great commentary. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. John it? Anderson. Yes, John Anderson. It was. Put it in the net. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I mean, that was just like he spoke for it was everyone. a fantastic moment. Yeah, it was. But look, I I I would have thought I thought then that you had enough to get out of it. I'm sure you will get out of it because you you know the 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 weight of 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 power of your home crowd i think will will get you over the line um but you've got to start to you know put together some cohesive performances and i know there's been a few in the mix here and there but you're going to be as much under as much pressure as watford are on on saturday and i suppose that the sort of the onus will be on you to win the game watford don't necessarily Very have much to do so. that. And, and i think there's a lot of nerves already building on tyneside ahead of that one i mean just on a, on a separate side not just before we get we're gonna we're gonna make you do a score prediction before you go of course but um just before that final word on danny rose i mean he, he came to newcastle and had a bit of a, a mixed time didn't really quite work out for him then he's been at watford and had a bit of a tough spell i mean you've written about uh, him this week. Can you just explain sort of what's going on and hopefully what the next chapter might bring for Danny Rose? Yeah, I mean it's a it's it's really disappointing. Um, and on a human level, you sort of think, well, there's something not quite right there. And I and I hope that he's I hope that he's okay. Um, you know, if you if you take a step back from that, you look at it on a sort of a transactional basis, and he's being played to play football, um, and he's clearly not been um, up to scratch in terms of his fitness. And that's something that Claudio Ranieri, you know, it had been a, it had been a little bit of an elephant in the room over the course of the opening period of the season. And then Claudio Ranieri was asked about him, and he said, "Look, he's not he's it's fitness is the problem. You know, he's still a lovely guy. Um, he's still a very um, adept footballer at left back. You know, and I want I want the Danny Rose that I used to see at Tottenham back, but I'm not getting that guy. And ultimately, it's led to him being bombed out, really." Um, so they're looking for, you know, a, an out for him and he's doing the same. And it's basically 
it's going to end in him leaving leaving the football club and he's certainly not going to be named in the in the Premier League 25 unless there is a massive U-turn. So it's really sad and it's 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 disappointing on so many different levels. You bring in an experienced footballer that you think after 14 years at Tottenham, he's going to come in, he's going to be an upgrade in that position. If he gets himself fit and flying, then brilliant. You've 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 pulled off a, a great coup in signing a former England left back, but it hasn't turned out like that and it's 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 ultimately wasted time and it's wasted money and it's meant that Watford have had to be active in in January concentrating on getting another left back rather than maybe concentrating on on getting another signing that they could be they could be um doing with so yeah it's a real shame I wish him well but it's just a bit it's just a bit annoying really the whole just situation before you go, Adam, I mean I don't know if this has been cathartic for either side I don't know if this has just been all of us sort of just listing all of our hopes and fears before this begin but what is the score going to be on Saturday oh well look you should score. Why? If you don't, Why? you're doing something well because we we haven't kept a clean sheet as I mentioned earlier on for for years. So you know if you don't if you don't score, then Newcastle there's don't have a striker. Fundam- fundamentally, well, whatever. Look, just have a shot, all right? <laughs> get, whoever, just get, run on the pitch, pitch invader, have a shot, you'll score. I promise. But if that doesn't happen, and in all seriousness, Watford have the ability to score goals. That is the thing. If Watford can plug the gaps at the back, then they have they have the ability to win this game and score goals. So I'm gonna go for <laughs> I'm gonna go for a one-one draw. <laughs> oh I'll tell you, honestly, I will love it if we beat them. Love it. There we go, chaps. That's another one done. Hope you're all. Uh, hope you're all well, and I hope you have a good week. Uh, thanks a lot for your time, George and Chris. Chris, I know you've got to shoot off, haven't you? You've got football this evening. Break a leg. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, one, one week when I do actually break my leg, you're going to really, really, really feel bad. <laughs> no, well, I will laugh heartily. No, I won't. Don't break your legs, Chris. Please don't. Uh, and also, George, uh, just before we go as well, we have to uh, mention David Harrison as well, who uh, who passed away last week, a regular uh, on the food bank. And George, you, you're often down there at the food bank as well. And uh, obviously our thoughts are with uh, David's friends and family at the minute. Uh, by all accounts, a, a smashing bloke and everything I've read on social media has been absolutely glowing about the guy. Yeah, as you say, regular face at the food bank. Um, you know, so I want to send want to send positive thoughts to all those people who do such a great great job uh, collecting money and food uh, before matches, often in very inclement conditions. So yes, yeah, lots of lots of love to 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 them and to David's family. Absolutely. All right then. Uh, keep your eyes on the skies. Who knows when the next transfer news will come in? That's it for today. Thanks a lot, George, for your time. And we shall be back next week. From everybody at Pot on the Time, cheerio. Athletic.